Welcome to Coached Up, the official podcast of Coaches vs. Cancer. Thank you for joining us. I'm DJ Allen, and it's game time. They say that nothing great happens in life without enthusiasm. And if you've been around this guy, good things, great things have happened. Coach Phil Martelli, the associate head coach at Michigan, of course, the longtime head coach at St. Joseph. Coach, we're going to dive into coaches versus cancer. You've been uh, just a luminary when it comes to building that program. But I want to start and talk about your marriage. That's right. Because who is the best basketball player (laughs) in your marriage? Well, um, you know, for background's sake, my wife, Judy, played on the Hall of Fame now, Hall of Fame Immaculata teams, won a national championship as a freshman, won a national championship as a sophomore, won a national championship as a junior, and finished runner-up as a senior. Uh, They've been inducted in the Naismith Hall of Fame as a group for this remarkable achievement. And, uh, you know, first and foremost, She's better looking than I am. That, that goes without saying. Uh, and she's a better shooter than I ever dreamt about being. But the beauty about this has been that not one time has Judy ever asked me about zone over man-to-man. She's not a fan. She's been there. Uh, you know, she's been the ultimate assistant coach. And uh, her going into the Hall of Fame is – has definitely given us uh, fodder, you know, as we've gone through our 44-year marriage. I could not imagine that. Obviously, your basketball family, what the game has meant to you, what you've meant to the game, to see your wife. And, of course, it was the team that went in, but she represented them and spoke, right? To see her do that at the Naismith Hall of Fame, what was that like? Well, uh, uh, Judy actually spoke for the team at the uh, announcement, Uh, We were at the final four and I forget exactly what city it was in. And she went on the court. She went on the court uh, at halftime of one of the semifinals and uh, just, well, obviously it was a special time and we met through Immaculata basketball because Kathy Rush ran a summer basketball camp. I met Judy. Uh, She was the first counselor that I met and I thought, wow, this is, this is going to be pretty good if all the counselors look like her (laughs) and are as nice as she is. But uh I, I, all of those, all of her friends, not just her teammates, but all of her friends to be with them through the excitement of uh, the hall of fame through reliving their times in college, but also to be with them at times of, of sorrow when they've lost teammates uh, and, and even some to cancer that you say, you know what? Um, I want for our children and I want for our teams to have the same bond with their teammates because it's a bond for life that they share at Immaculata. The game has meant so much, and, and those involved know it. But it's also changed, and the world has changed. Kids have changed, and we have to change as leaders, as coaches. So over the years of you being involved with the game and being a coach, how have you evolved as a coach, as a leader, working with young people? I think that's such a great question, and I think that it, it, it transcends basketball. Like, the classroom changed. The, the family unit has changed. And so I, I, I've really – the thought that comes to mind is this. 
I've become a better listener. I've, I've just become a better listener because I think when we all start out as young coaches, we think that the more we talk, the more you think we know. And really, silence is golden at times. I know that's a song, but, but really, silence is golden. And we have to listen because young people are, are talking to us. Sometimes they're talking through their words. Sometimes they're talking through their eyes. Sometimes they're talking through their bodies. So a better observer, a better listener, that's really where I would, I would plant myself. The other thing that has happened, uh, and I have thought about this often, is when I first started out as a high school coach, when I first started out even as a head coach in college, I always thought like a good one-liner, they would appreciate a good one-liner. And sometimes it could be a dig. And more than a dozen years ago, maybe closer to 20 years ago, I realized, you know what? What I think is funny, they don't see it as funny. And, and I don't want anybody to take something personal. And, and actually, at times when I'm, when I'm daydreaming and I drift back, I think, you know what? I wish I had that statement back. I thought it was funny at the time, but I, I need to – back off that. So if we're going to have conversation, it's not always going to be serious. It doesn't have to be dead serious, but I've walked away from those kind of barbs that, you know, guys on the street corner in Philadelphia. Yeah, they got it. Or the guy sitting there having a beer, he got it. You know, it wasn't personal, but the players a little sensitive and I don't knock them. So I've walked away from that you know, that's great feedback. It reminds me of a mentor of mine years ago who taught me, hey, DJ, it's great to have that sense of humor. But remember, if that humor is at the expense of someone else, there's going to be some long lasting things that you don't always see. I, I love that coach. We talk with so many leaders and not many people bring that up. Now, you brought up Philly, you know, the street corner of Philly, you brought up change. Okay, you've gone through a little bit of change here. I mean, we think about Philly, we think about Pennsylvania, it's Ben Franklin, it's Cheesesteaks, it's Liberty Bell, it's Phil Martelli, right? Thank you. But now there's life outside the Keystone State you found out the past year and a half. What's that change been like for you? Not to start on a downer, but it's been lonely. It really has. I mean, there have been times in Philadelphia, I very rarely went home from practice. I was always going somewhere. Could be for coaches versus cancer, could be to visit somebody. I had family that I could see on my way home uh, from the office. Uh, I always fought with myself to say, you know what, I can get a lot of places from Philadelphia and recruit, but I could sleep at home tonight. And I, and I would, I, I prided myself on, on family, my team, crushing cancer, those were my priorities. So uh, here in Ann Arbor, I have wonderful people. Gee, the, the people at this university are special, and the people in the hallway for basketball are just extraordinary people, and they've treated me with so such respect, at times even kid gloves. Um, but when I go home, I go home. And my wife's not here. So, so there are times when I, feel, when I feel lonely. 
Uh, but I also am so juiced up because everybody on this campus and everybody on our hallway gets up every morning with the pursuit of a national championship. And boy, is that exciting. And to, to take, to take this dive, like going back to Judy, to take this dive really into an unknown, Jawan Howard, Michigan, out of Philadelphia for the first time in 64 years. Uh, I had to do it with her and with her support. And so that's made our family stronger. My absence has made our family uh, stronger. Technologically, I'm way ahead now, DJ. Like I can <laughs> FaceTime. I didn't know what that was. I can Zoom. I can connect. Uh, and, and being perfectly honest, the pandemic hasn't allowed me to really experience this yet. I haven't gone through a calendar year yet where, well, how are we going to balance this? When do I plan my recruiting trip home? What's a vacation look like? And how do you plan that out? But uh, this is just a special, special opportunity. I knew I had to be with a team. I wanted to be with a team and I wanted to be with a coach that would allow me to be me. And so for that, I'm eternally grateful. As coaches, you know, we want our student athletes to grow, you know, the, their, their mindset, their skills keep growing. We have to do that at all points in our lives. And and, and veteran coach, you know, you, may, you mentioned you're 64 years, but let's tell the story a little bit and then let's dive in. You mentioned Coach Howard. Let's dive into your role. So you're Philly, born and raised, you know, 34 years at St. Joseph's on the staff, 24 years as the head coach, Naismith National Coach of the Year, right? All the accolades and in charge. And then all of a sudden, you're on a staff, the associate head coach. And there is, like you talked, it's change. It's away from home. Let's start first by the role. What role do you see yourself playing with Michigan and serving with Coach Howard's staff? That's a great word right there, serving, because uh, go back to last June and when we started this and I wasn't certain terminology. What, what, what's the style of recruiting? Uh, what does practice look like? What does player development look like? And uh, I was reluctant to, uh, to go barreling in. So what I chose to do was to observe, take a lot of notes, um, and then bring up at appropriate times, hey, this is a thought. This is a thought. One of the things that I've uh, grown to really appreciate is to not use the idea of I. I would. So taking that word would is I suggest, here's a suggestion, here's a thought. And, and try to do it in a setting that is not um, what you consider pressure. You know, day of the game, don't walk in and say, hey, I would, I would shoot for 20 minutes today. No, that's not the time, you know. Uh, so, so having the opportunity to suggest, to, and, that, and that's what I've treasured over these 16 months is I'm heard, I don't have to be listened to all the time, but as long as I was heard. And I feel much stronger now, DJ, that, that, that I can present my ideas. Uh, and they might be in my core, you know, deep in my gut, that I, 
I'm, I'm wholeheartedly behind this, but uh, not massaging it, but, but util, using this idea of like, I don't have all the answers and uh, I don't even know all the questions, but I do have this, you know, I, I woke up with a, a pocket full of, of uh, experiences that I'd like to share. And the players have been real receptive. The staff has been real receptive. And oftentimes the coaches will say, you don't coach the point guards and you don't coach the wings and you don't coach the big guys. You coach the coaches from all these experiences that you've had. So it's, it really is. There, there's not a day where I don't feel valued and I don't feel that I didn't bring value to what we're doing. You know, it's such a unique perspective that you have as a veteran coach that many times there's a lot of people listening to this right now who may have gone through a similar situation. And that's some of the conversation I've had with veteran head coaches who have become, you know, members of the staff. One thing that comes common is, you know, I want to be the assistant that I would have wanted. Right. And, and there's the perspective for that, that a lot of, of, of younger coaches may not have who are assistants. Is that fair to say? No, that, that's, that's certainly fair. And, and again, I believe in words, like words really mattering. So what I always believed on, on my staff was don't be out there telling people that you work for me. Don't, don't tell people that you work for me. You're going to work with me. And if working with me means do a small thing, like run a station at your basketball camp, then I'm going to run a station at my basketball camp but I want you to do the same thing, right? right. If, if uh, I'm going to ask you to make rec- uh, scheduling calls, I'm going to make scheduling calls. At the end of the day, we're going to be with each other, not f- for each other. We're for the players. We're for the, the institution, right? But we're gonna be with each other. And, and that's been in my mind and in my heart for these last 16 months, but it was in my mind and in my heart for, for 34 years that I don't want anybody to be out there and I don't want to be feeling like I work for, we're beyond that. We're, we're, we're way beyond that. And I think that it boils down to that idea, DJ, of respect. I want to respect you as a person, not as a title, not as a, what you drive, not as a grade point average, not as, W two, I want to respect. I want to respect you for you. You know, you had so much success with so many different teams. Obviously, the o three o four team uh, was undefeated with the regular season, and but you won won so many other different championships. What what's the t- key to getting a group of individuals to come together as a team? Obviously, talent's critical. We 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 understand that, but the best teams on paper don't always win. Those special teams, what's the key, coach? Respect. Respect. You, you want an environment where each individual is respected for whom they are, not what they do on the court, but respect. In business, that would go to your receptionist. It's not just the, the uh, CEOs and the COOs. And it, it has to do with when you walk into that building, do you feel that respect? So on a team, how are the managers treated? Really, how, how are those managers treated? How are those fans treated? And, I, and I'm not saying 
people jumping up and down and yelling zone instead of man. No, no, no. I'm just talking about those people that are there. How, how does the secretary feel? Is respect a foundation of your program? And before you expect it, and before you accept it, make sure you've given it. Don't somebody walk in and say, well, I respect him because he's a coach. No, I want your respect. I, I, I want to earn your respect because I've given it to you. And I want you to value respect, right? Respect your family name was something that I was always preaching. Respect your family name. So at two o'clock in the morning, maybe not getting in a car and driving when you've had a couple of beers, you think about your family name. I, I, I'll, I'll get home another way. Or using social media. Before you hit send, does that represent your family? Does that really represent your family? So respect that family name. I have deeply felt that, that a successful, you know, everybody talks about culture and, and, and so well be, but to me, that core foundation for greatness was built on respect. Fourth coach Phil Martelli, associate head coach at Michigan, spent 12 years as chairman of the Coaches Versus Cancer Council, past president of the National Association of Basketball Coaches. And that team, that partnership between the American Cancer Society and the National Association of Basketball Coaches has created really a, an American treasure with Coaches Versus Cancer. Coach, you've, you've been at the head of, of, of Coaches Versus Cancer and the NABC. How critical is the partnership with the NABC for Coaches Versus Cancer? Well, what we have is we have this huge force, right? This huge force. And yes, in the NABC, it's top heavy. What, what are they thinking about at Duke or what are they thinking about at Michigan or what are they thinking about at Kentucky? And I beg all of those guys to use their platform to lift up coaches versus cancer. But you know what? I'm interested in those high school guys, all those high school guys out there, all those grade school coaches out there, all those members of the NABC, you are going to make a difference. You do make a difference. You absolutely positively make a difference. So joining forces with the NABC and Coaches Versus Cancer, and you know, DJ, where I'm going, this is about crushing cancer. So if there's a fifth grader out there who can sell pencils that say Coaches Versus Cancer, and that school can donate $100, God bless you. Thank you. You're a hero. And that's what I would want for all of our coaches in joining together. Be a hero. And what a hero is, is an ordinary person who does exceptional things for someone that they'll never meet. So you'll never meet that cancer patient. You'll never meet that family. But to think about that power and that NABC power, we can help a family have another day of quality life. And it's a no-brainer. It's an absolutely a no-brainer do what you can do. And you don't have to be raising a million dollars. Raise a dollar. Raise a dollar. And join this. It's an unbeatable force. 
but we are beat, we're, we're facing a very, very, very tough opponent. We can't give up on any day. We can all do something. And it's made a difference. You know, founded in 1993, Coaches versus Cancer. Death rates are down 27% since then. So, I mean, we're, we're fighting it. It's getting better because of people like you. And I love the, the crush cancer, crush cancer. I've, I've taken your crush and just use that in other parts of my life now. So, if anybody listening to this who knows me and reads my emails, reads my texts, it's because of Coach Martelli why I use the word crush. Because for him and, and for this fight against cancer, it's been about crushing cancer. And you've put so much time effort, energy into coaches versus cancer, into the fight against cancer. Why? Uh, because these opportunities to coach basketball, these opportunities come with more than diagramming your blue play. They come with more than, man, we got nice gear. They come more than playing for championships going to nice places to play in tournaments, travel the world, you know, on a foreign tour. They come with a responsibility to help the next person. And, and, and DJ, you well know this because you know so many coaches and you've interacted with them. They're passionate about the Boys and Girls Club. They're, they're, they're passionate about helping the heart associate. I get it. I get it. But I want to be real clear. This charity is the charity of choice of the association that is very personal to all of us, the National Association of Basketball Coaches. So when I got involved with Coaches Versus Cancer, it wasn't because of, well, this family member or this student that I met. It had to do with embarrassment. The NCAA would put out a newspaper. They listed the top 100 programs backing Coaches Versus Cancer. And there wasn't one Philadelphia school on the top list of 100. And I thought something's wrong. And as I researched it, I realized we hadn't even dropped a pebble in the pond in Philadelphia. And yet Philadelphia has the best college basketball in the whole world, right? Six division one schools in a 15 mile radius, right? It's powerful. We had to bring our power to this, to this cause to this fight. And then once we got right involved in it, and all of a sudden you're meeting Alex Scott, nine-year-old. She was probably five at the time. Alex's lemonade. And you're thinking, a, a five-year-old can do that? Well, like I'm, I'm wasting time here. So forget about coaching and forget about wins and forget about championships. I can leave a mark, then I had to leave a mark. And I will say to you, every family that I've met, every warrior that's looking at cancer and fought cancer, man, they gave me a lot more than I ever gave them. And I will, I'm eternally grateful for that. Well, we're grateful for all you've done in the fight, what you did with, with, with the Philadelphia group. That's now become a center of coaches versus cancer. And you, you haven't mentioned it directly, but final question on this. How has cancer impacted you? You know, that's, uh, it's, it's impacted me because it's a bully. It's a bully. Cancer does not discriminate. Cancer doesn't matter if you're in Vegas, doesn't matter if you're in Ann Arbor, doesn't matter in Philly. 
doesn't matter young or old, black or white, doesn't matter zip codes, doesn't matter W-2s, doesn't matter titles. It is an indiscriminate monster. So the only way to beat a monster in the schoolyard, to beat a monster in the neighborhood, to beat that bully is to punch it square in the head. Just punch it. And you're not going to knock down on the first one, but keep punching. Keep punching. DJ, in our lifetime, it may not happen. It may not happen in my children's lifetime, but it's going to happen in my grandchildren's lifetime. We will crush cancer because we're willing to fight it. Don't run. Don't survive it. Don't survive it. Crush it. And that I, I will not give it up and I will not give in to cancer. Let's do it. Let's keep punching. Coach mentioned earlier with the National Association of Basketball Coaches, we do hear so much about the big schools and the big events and the millions of dollars or hundreds of thousands of dollars. But this program has been successful because like Coach Martelli talked about, just selling pencils, you know, high school programs who are raising a few hundred dollars, be a part of it. Find, find, play your role. Whatever your role is, be an all-star in that role. But you're part of the National Association of Basketball Coaches. You're part of the Coaches versus Cancer team. Coach, thank you for all you've done for Coaches versus Cancer. Thank you for being so real today to teach us about leadership, about growth. We're almost done. We're going to go to overtime right now. All right. Rapid fire, five quick questions, and then we'll let you get to practice. Does that sound good? I appreciate it, DJ. Okay. First question. First concert you ever attended and the best concert you ever attended? I have to preface this. I've only been to nine concerts in my life. <laughs> People are going to find that hard to believe. They also found it hard to believe that I had never – I had only been to one college football game until I got to Ann Arbor last September. Oh, wow. So, first concert I attended was Rod Stewart in the Spectrum in Philadelphia. Uh, I think the ticket was $10. And I didn't quite get it. I said, you could do the same thing on an, I'm, I'm aging myself, but you could do this album, right? You could listen to the album. It's this, it's the same thing. So Rod Stewart was the first one. I think that was probably about 1973. And uh, the other eight concerts that I've attended have only been by one person. So that's the best one. And that's Springsteen. And if and on my bucket list, on my bucket list, uh, and I believe I will achieve this, I will one day meet him because if all of us worked as hard at our jobs as Springsteen works at his job every night, man, this would be an unbelievable country. And it already is a great country. It would be unbelievable. So Springsteen is the best. So we, you learned that here, the inside scoop. He's only been to nine concerts and eight of them are the boss. That's right. Second question, favorite sport that isn't basketball? Uh, there's no question about it. It's Phillies baseball, but Phillies, I, I, uh, you know, people in the Philadelphia area and, and those that are so young that you don't remember this research, this 1964, six and a half game lead to win the national league when only there was one winner in the national league and the, the Phillies lost. They, they somehow lost a six and a half game lead with 12 to play. Uh, I walked to the airport that night and met them when they came back with other X number of thousands of Philadelphians. And I just thought 
they'll get there again and they'll get there again. But uh, I am a diehard, diehard Philadelphia Phillies baseball fan. So in 1980, right? They, they win the World Series. Well, that just had to be special. I was a high school coach at the time. And uh, uh, I remember walking into school and for, for workouts, summer, uh, fall workouts, and nobody was there. And nobody, like no players showed up for the workouts. And I said, where is everybody? They said, they're at the parade. And I thought, well, that's probably where I would be too. If I was <laughs> All right, question number three. Three of your favorite movies. Uh, remember the Titans. Uh, and this one is a better book than it is a movie, but Sleepers. It's, it's about a reform school in New York. Uh, it's a fabulous, fabulous book. Uh, and so that was a really good movie. And I did write one down. People have always assumed it was The Godfather, but until the pandemic, I had never seen The Godfather. <laughs> so I shared that around the office here. They didn't believe me. But so I've now, I've, I've watched The Godfather. Uh, Something about Mary. Would be there my- you go. <laughs> we'll take that. All right. Question number four. Three words your wife, Judy, would use to describe you. Would Bradley Cooper be one word or would be <laughs> one word? I, You know what? The, the similarity is striking, I must say. We're both from Philadelphia. Uh, uh, faith-filled. Faith-filled, uh, dedicated, and caring slash compassionate. And our last question with Coach Phil Martelli. What's the best leadership advice you've ever received? Listen to learn. Coach? I'm going to make sure that I listen today. I'm going to, I'm excited to listen back to the recording of this because you made me better. I want to thank you for making us better as leaders, making us better as teammates, most importantly for all you've done for the fight against cancer. Appreciate you joining us so much on Coached Up, the official podcast of Coaches Versus Cancer, which is a partnership between the National Association of Basketball Coaches and the American Cancer Society. Coach, we need to follow your lead and crush cancer. Thank you for including me. And I would be remiss if I didn't just, everybody, please stay safe. We're going to get out. We're going to come out the other side as long as we all do it together and stay safe. All right. We appreciate it, Coach. Remember, life is a team sport. Fighting cancer is a team sport. We're rooting for you and be great. <laughs>